Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. AstraZeneca, the safety and efficacy of the AstraZeneca vaccine continues to be a question mark. So when our commercials say AstraZeneca may be able to help, the emphasis belongs on the maybe. The anti-vaxxer anti-cell phone, because if you're afraid that the vaccine is a secret conspiracy for big tech to track your every movement, and you also own a cell phone, boy have we got some news for you. And science, saving the anti-science assholes that make it necessary for science to save them from themselves, because they still don't listen to science. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices are the only thing softer than the brain of a science denier, too dumb to get this joke. Our top story this week. After losing the 2020 election to Joe Biden by 8 million popular votes and 74 electoral votes, former President Trump, or as current President Biden calls him, the former guy, tried to steal the election by claiming that Joe Biden had stolen the election by winning the election. Dubious claims of voter fraud were made publicly by Trump attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. There was voter fraud on a scale so massive that we cannot prove that there was any voter fraud because there was another massive fraud to fraudulently make the fraud seem like not fraud. Dominion voting machines were designed in Venezuela to allow the ghost of Hugo Chavez to use the dark magic of communist ghost power to rig elections using an undead software potion concocted from the guitar of Vladimir Lenin in an evil spell hidden in Hillary's emails. These claims are very serious. Why else would I sweat hair dye at a hastily planned press conference in front of the Waldorf Astoria hardware store and home gardening center adjacent to a dildo store and one of those places that sells what are clearly bongs, but they say they are tobacco pipes for legal reasons. Trump's claims of fraud were themselves so fraudulent that when his attorneys appeared in court to file 60-plus lawsuits, all of which they lost, they refused to make their provably false accusations in open court. I allege there was fraud. Can you prove this alleged fraud? I never alleged fraud. In fact, as part of her defense on the ongoing defamation lawsuit filed against her, Mrs. Powell claimed that, quote, No reasonable person would conclude that the statements were truly statements of fact. But despite the fact that their insane election fraud lies have been completely disproven, I cannot be held accountable for the lies I told because the lies I told were so stupid that no reasonable person would believe them. Stupid. Because they weren't intended to fool reasonable people. I'm standing in front of the Hyatt Regency storefront bodega that is clearly a front for a drug dealing operation adjacent to the rusty pollution spewing factory that manufactures the hair dye that's streaming down my face to say that the January 6th insurrection was perpetrated by thousands of Joe Biden clones manufactured in the same Wuhan laboratory that invented COVID. Republican lawmakers are using the premise of Trump's lies to justify voter suppression laws. For example, based on the false premise that our elections are rife with non-existent voter fraud, Republicans in Barely Audible Whisper's home state of Georgia passed a law that makes it harder for people to vote. A record number of people voted legally in our last election, which is suspicious because we lost. So in order to avoid the appearance we created of voter fraud, which 
isn't real. We must make it harder for real voters to really vote, thus preventing not real fraud that never really happened from appearing to happen again. The law, which was championed by members of the Christian right, makes it a crime to distribute food or water to people forced to stand for hours in the very long voting lines that lawmakers themselves have created due to their own purposefully inadequate election administration. Because like it says in the gospel, For I was hungry, and you were prohibited from bringing me food. I was thirsty, but bringing me water constitutes voter fraud. Georgia governor and preppy douche overcompensating with a pickup truck, Brian Kemp, denies that the law, which disproportionately impacts minority voters, because of course it does, is racist. This law I'm shining in front of a portrait of a slave plantation uh, in a room full of white men while arresting a black woman for having the audacity to knock on the door, uh, which surgically targets the preferred voting methods of minority voters, is in no way racist. We would be equally willing to suppress the votes of white Democrats. It's just easier to target minorities. We're not racist. We're lazy. Oh my God, there's a black woman knocking at the door. Run away. Run away. I don't know. Okay. There's a black woman knocking at the door. Oh no. Black women are always talking. She's going to want reparations. She's doing knocking at the door. While the criminalization of giving food and water to a human being written into a law passed by supposedly Christian lawmakers, Blessed are those who arrest those who give water to thirsty, for they shall cling to the unquenchable thirst of stolen power. The most egregious aspect of the new Georgia law is that it grants the state legislature the authority to steal elections in exactly the same manner the former guy attempted to steal the 2020 election. In 2020, state officials refused to throw out legally cast ballots, change results, or rerun elections in Democratic-leaning counties because they did not have any legal authority to do so. This new law strips the election oversight authority of the Secretary of State, uh, who refused to cheat for Trump, and gives the authority to the Republican-controlled legislator, uh, who adamantly supported cheating for Trump. <laughs> yeah, and we can replace election officials in Democratic counties with our own partisan officials who have virtually unlimited authority to do whatever they want. <laughs> the only thing that can stop us now is a black woman knocking on a door. Oh, you can't oh shit, the- run away! Oh, oh, no. Black woman on a door? Oh, no. That's only true with black women at doors. More than two full months since taking office, Vice President and 30 Voice of Justice Kamala Harris has still not been able to move into the vice presidential residence due to delays in renovations. Based on Vice President Harris's epic grilling of former Attorney General Bill Barr and Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and her outstanding debate performances, barely out of a whisper, imagine Vice President Harris grilling her inept contractors. You see, there's been a delay due to some unforeseeable problems, but... There was a little girl. And that little girl was bused to school in the 1970s. And that little girl became vice president of the United States of America in less time than it took an inept contractor to install a goddamn ceiling fan. 
well, the, the thing is, the wiring is complicated because... There was a new presidential administration. And that administration inherited a crisis. And that administration coordinated the distribution of a hundred million vaccines in less time than it took you to paint my living room. We had to match the paint colors and then there's budgetary constraints. And I helped pass a $1.8 trillion life-saving law through a Congress that's almost as dedicated to not doing their job as you are. I know, but the thing is... There was a contractor, and that contractor was almost as bad at contracting as the previous president was bad at presidenting. And that contractor, like all of the contractors that ever contracted for that previous president, is not going to get paid. Things sure were easier under the previous tenant. As head of the Coronavirus Task Force, my job is to brag about the incredible job this penis administration has done at not doing our job. And it is inspiring to see the incredible job of not doing your job that has caused my toilet to back up like a line of cars at an underfunded COVID testing facility. Thanks, Mr. Vice President. The good news is that we did finish your lip-in closet. I'm not gay. The trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd began Monday, and defense attorney Eric Nelson has the unenviable job of convincing a jury that a man who kneeled on an unarmed man's neck for nine minutes while he was desperately gasping that he can't breathe did not, in fact, commit murder. His strategy in his opening statement seems to hinge on the fact that the victim is large and the people nearby sometimes have drugs. What the fuck? For today, our question is, who is the jury that will decide Chauvin's fate? How do you find 12 people who don't come in with strong opinions about police brutality, Black Lives Matter, and a killing that was filmed and viewed by millions of people? It can't be done. Barely Audible Whisper looks at the jury selection process. Juror number seven, what is your familiarity with the case in question? The one that was on the news for weeks, causing nationwide protests that were on the news for months and irate social media posts from both sides that have been dominating my feed for almost a year? Yes. (laughs) Well, Mr. Schleicher, whatever your name is, I'd say I'm pretty damn familiar. Have you seen the video? Um, I felt like I had to, so yes. Do you feel like your prior knowledge of the case will impact your ability to view the evidence impartially? 
<laughs> you mean, if I'm asked again to look at the video of a helpless man having his neck nailed on for nine minutes, will I be able to impartially assess whether or not that constitutes murder? <laughs> yeah, I think I can look at it again and see once again that it definitely was murder. Yeah. Let's challenge. The defense moves to strike this juror. Mr. Schleicher, do you contest? Yes, Your Honor. How can we expect to fill this jury with people who haven't seen the video and formed an opinion already? Juror number seven, will you commit to considering all the evidence that the defense presents before finalizing your opinion? I'll try. But come on, that's straight up murder. Can't say that, you're dismissed. Juror number 12, what is your opinion of law enforcement? Every police officer is a hero, no exceptions. The defense finds this juror acceptable. No further questions. Cause challenge. The prosecution moves to strike this juror. So obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. Defense doesn't contest. Sorry, buddy. Juror 12 dismissed. Back to blue. Juror number 19. What is your opinion of law enforcement? I'm, I'm glad we have them. Uh, however, sometimes some abuse their power. Did you watch the video of George Floyd's death? Oh, no, no, no. I couldn't bring myself to watch things like that. If you're on this jury, you'll definitely see the video. I might just close my eyes. We'll see that. What if I just sort of blur my vision so, so you can't tell that I'm doing that? The defense has no objection. Of course not. You'd love to have the jury not see the video. Cause challenge. Does the defense contest? Oh, no. Juror 19, you're dismissed. Did they like blur the death part maybe? Like on TV? Dismissed. Juror number 46, what is your opinion of the phrase, all lives matter? It's way more peaceful and less controversial than the other one, which I won't say. Are you familiar with the case? I am, and I think it's horrible what happened, but there's probably stuff I don't know about that explains why it happened. Holy shit, we might have a juror here. Juror 46, do you believe there is racism in America? I do not. America is the greatest country in the world, and racism ended when we elected a black president, who was half white, by the way. <sighs> do you believe that black people are disproportionately targeted by police? I don't. I know more get arrested, but that's because they commit more crimes. No, this cannot be our middle ground. Please, can we dismiss this one too? Defense? The defense contests. Fine. I didn't want to bring this up, but we drove by this juror's house and saw a Confederate flag bumper sticker. We're in Minnesota. How does that even make sense? It's heritage, not hate. Juror 46 is dismissed. Juror number 65, have you- Pause challenge. What, because he's black? Uh, no, he, uh, he, he looks like the victim. How? Uh, di different ways, uh, uh, not, not just skin color. Is there a question for me or no? That accent, uh, uh, where are you from? Originally Nigeria. I became a citizen five years ago because I love this country. I'm listening. 
Have you ever had a negative experience with law enforcement? One time, I got pulled over and was never given a reason. It was um, inconvenient, you say, but I cannot prove it was because of my race. Interesting. Wow, we finally found a black person who's never had a traumatic experience with law enforcement. All it took was finding an immigrant who never had to live his life as a black teenager in America. Can we please let this guy actually serve on the jury? Oh, fine. Juror 65 is accepted. One down, 11 to go. Juror number 99, have you formed an opinion on this case based on news coverage? Uh, I try to get my news from all sides. I watch CNN and Fox. Uh, it's hard to know what to think. It's important to me to keep an open mind. I'm a big believer in innocent until proven guilty. We looked through your social media posts and one time you tagged a post hashtag BLM. Did you mean Bureau of Land Management? No, I meant Black Lives Matter. Surely that statement isn't controversial. It's anti-police. Only if you assume that all police are racist, which I don't. We went over this with Juror 76. We can't strike everyone who's ever expressed sympathy for the Black Lives Matter cause. Can't we? It speaks to bias. It speaks to seeing Black people as human. Yeah, well, seeing George Floyd as human kind of hurts our case. The Olympic torch relay began in Fukushima, Japan, near the damaged nuclear power station where the Fukushima nuclear disaster occurred 10 years ago. In future news, Japan's Olympic team dominated every event in this year's Olympics. And the runners are on their marks, and they're set, and Japan's nuclear mutated giant track athlete has already completed the race with one giant step. Thanks to a combination of running to torch relay next to the Fukushima nuclear disaster site and the plot of every sci-fi movie involving Japan ever made, I have superpowers now. I performed a world record setting series of amazingly difficult dives, but I still only got silver because the Japanese diver can fly now. This is bullshit. Entire Russian team was disqualified for doping, but Japanese team is allowed to use nuclear advantages? And now it's on to the high jump, where the Canadian high jumper's world record beating 2.5 meters is no match for the Japanese high jumper, who still hasn't landed since jumping yesterday. From now on, I do all my training at Chernobyl. This just in. Following the Japanese team's synchronized swimming practice, all swimming events have been postponed because the pool water has evaporated. Not only did my disgust throw shatter every existing record, my disgust also melted all of my competitors' disgust. Not only can the Japanese divers fly, but their splash is reduced by their ability to sprout fins. In a rare disappointment for a Japanese team at these Olympics, the Japanese equestrian team has been disqualified for unauthorized use of unicorns. That seems fair. And my javelin sprouted is on Air Force. The French delegation of athletes hereby surrenders to the Japanese javelins. 
Japan has dominated every single event except for gymnastics, where Godzilla broke all of the equipment. Godzilla has shattered the balance beam, torn the rings from the ceiling, and pummeled the pummel horse. Her only hope now is a flawless floor routine. And it's an awkward waddle into a destructive high jump, and she's going for the backflip. And Godzilla has fallen on her back with her legs flailing helplessly, and I don't see how she can ever get up. But wait, what's this? It would appear that they have summoned Mothra to help Godzilla get back on her feet. And now Mothra and Godzilla are fighting. And I've never understood why it matters who wins, because either way, Tokyo isn't so much saved as they are at the mercy of a different monster. As America added two more mass shootings to our endless list of mass shootings, the endless debate over why America remains the only country in the world to endure an endless onslaught of mass shootings re-emerged. As part of our endless effort to bring the endless cycle of endless tragedy to an end, Barely Audible Whisper invited world-renowned German psychologist Dr. Von Bergen, Blon Bergen, Von Wiener, Von Schnitzel. Guten Tag, I am Dr. Wergen von Blögen von Wiener von Schnitzel, here to discuss the endless American tragedy of gun violence. You can have my guns when you pry them from my cold dead hands. And the problem is that unreasonable people who amass unreasonable quantities of unreasonable guns for unreasonable reasons make unreasonable arguments which cannot be countered with reason because the unreasonable people who make these unreasonable arguments have amassed unreasonable quantities of unreasonable guns. I've got a crate full of AR-15s that I'm stockpiling just in case they ever ban the purchase of AR-15s. That way, I always have my crate of AR-15s to protect me against the ban on AR-15s. And those making reasonable policies impossible to reasonably implement. Come and take them. And while there are many reasonable people who make reasonable quantities of reasonable guns for reasonable reasons, I own a rifle for hunting, and I keep a pistol in my home for self-defense. And the unreasonable gun owners own their unreasonable quantities of unreasonable guns, precisely because they are unreasonable. I am sick and damn tired of losing arguments with reasonable people, just because my positions are unreasonable. Uh, well, I've got a fully loaded, fully automatic reason that my unreasonableness should be considered reasonable. 
und so, weil the vast majority of gun owners support reasonable gun control measures. Of course, there should be background checks, uh, bans on military-grade assault weapons, and limits to the amount of ammunition that can be held in a single clip. And the unreasonable arguments of unreasonable gun owners have an unreasonable impact on the debate. The Constitution says I could open carry an AR-15 in the grocery store because our founding fathers' fathers didn't hug them enough either. But why do you need to carry an AR-15? It's my right as an American to declare things to be my right as an American. Because my right to bear arms gives me the right to declare that I'm right by threatening people who threaten my rights with the guns. I have the right to stockpile to protect my right to stockpile guns. But that's just circular logic. What did you say? I said I agree with you. Please don't kill me. I'm a good debater. And this aggressive repetition of unreasonableness. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. But since that scenario has never actually occurred, doesn't it make more sense to prevent the bad guy from- The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Theoretically, perhaps, but doesn't adding a gun to an already dangerous situation potentially create- The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Huh. Now that you've repeated it over and over again, I guess it does make sense if you don't really think that hard. Once compounded with the psychology of weak politicians who feel the need to project tough guy machismo. Ah, I'm Ted Cruz. Creates a cycle of unreasonable, insecure, pseudo tough guy stupidity. I may have spent the last five years publicly licking the scrotum of a man who accused my father of killing JFK, accused me of fraud without evidence, and called my wife ugly. But also, I cooked bacon on a machine gun barrel. So that makes me a man. <laughs> right? And this obsession among weak men of projecting masculine strength. If I just keep cooking raw meat on a machine gun barrel, my wife will have to respect me again. <laughs> right? <laughs> Has reduced the national gun debate to the overcompensating aggressiveness of self-righteously shouted nonsense. The freedom-hating, leftist, socialist, radical left wants to take your guns away just because hundreds of thousands of Americans are being needlessly killed. But I would point out that more people die from natural causes than gun violence, and yet we don't ban nature. And so America's unreasonable policies being driven by America's most unreasonable people. Gun violence is a hoax perpetrated by gun-hating liberals to create an excuse to justify gun control measures that they haven't been able to pass because somehow they are all powerful enough to orchestrate mass shooting hoaxes, but not powerful enough to pass legislation favored by 85% of the people. Once the time has come for reasonable people to do the thing reasonable people hate most because it feels unreasonable. 
but in the face of such unreasonableness, it is the only reasonable solution. Guns don't kill people. People without guns kill people because they lack the gun power to kill the people who kill people. On such unreasonable, seeming reasonable solution is for reasonable people to dismiss the unreason of unreasonable people. <laughs> I'm a tough guy. <laughs> right? And simply say to these unreasonable people in the name of reason. You can't make things illegal. Because criminals will do illegal things anyway. Well, shut the fuck up. End of discussion. Nine! As of the writing of this sketch, the Evergreen Shipping Company's massive cargo ship, the Ever Given, remains ever stuck inside the Suez Canal. For more on this maritime disaster, Barely Audible Whisper turns to our maritime disaster correspondent, Arlen Armstrong. Oh, blow the man down, bullies, blow the man down. Ahoy, mateys. I be Barely Audible Whisper maritime correspondent, Arlen Armstrong. If we made one cargo ship the size of two cargo ships, and stack the cargo twice as high, we could increase our profit margins from outrageous to obscene. Our not very exciting tale of maritime disaster begins in the least exciting place known to man, a carpet boardroom. But a ship that large leaves very little room for error inside of tight spaces, and stacking the cargo too high can make steering the already difficult-to-maneuver oversized vessel impossible in high winds, and that would cause the stacked cargo containers to act as large sails, creating a force too powerful to counter-steer against. But double the cargo stacked twice as high means double the twice as many profits, and double outrageousness times twice the outrageousness equals obscene and so the too large vessel with too much cargo stacked too high encountered too much wind and ended up horizontal in the Suez Canal which is too narrow to contain the too large container ship that contained too many containers Egyptian Port Authority this is the captain of the Ever Given uh, we could use a little help Copy that, Ever Given. We're sending a little help. A very little help. They sent in one solitary bulldozer the size of a Tonka toy truck to dig out a cargo ship the size of the Empire State Building, the length of an Empire State Building's worth of football fields, or whatever other idiotic frame of reference you want to use. Seriously, you're sending one tiny bulldozer to dig out a ship the size of an absurdly large number of relatively small things, an impressively large number of relatively medium-sized things, or the equivalent of a very different, very large thing? We could send in a couple of tugboats, but that won't help either, given that your ship is the size of hundreds of tugboats stacked on top of hundreds of bulldozers, multiplied by two football fields and seven 
racquetball courts. Freeing the mighty vessel that is the size of the total watermelon spray from every Gallagher show in the entire 1980s has proven to be a task even bigger than a ship eight billion pepperoni slices in diameter, weighing more than 900,000 morbidly obese giraffes. Moving a grounded vessel of this magnitude will require a massive feat of logistical engineering, utilizing resources from the... Would you quit your incessant yammering about how to solve the problem and focus on the much more important problem of figuring out how we avoid having to pay for the problem? It soon became clear that the effort to unground the ship as large as a very large frame of reference would prove to be as expensive as a stack of dollar bills as high as the very same very large frame of reference. Mayday, mayday, we're being held accountable. And in the modern maritime world, there's only one way to settle disputes about who has to give stacks of green so large that they also describe the largeness of the Evergreen companies ever given. Mayday, mayday, I need an army of maritime lawyers. Wouldn't it be more accurate to call them a navy of maritime lawyers? Oh, will you just send in the damn maritime lawyers? God. Uh, R, <laughs> uh, ye buccaneers be charged with uh, mutiny uh, by the authority vested in me hook hand and me peg leg, I sentence ye <laughs> uh, to walk the plank. Unfortunately, in real life, maritime lawyers are every bit as tediously boring as regular lawyers. Uh, as per the addendum amended to subsection A, paragraph one, whereby the first party as represented by a third party shall be party uh, to proceedings thereof. Meanwhile, as the parties responsible for the problem dedicate more time to avoiding responsibility for the problem than actually trying to solve the problem. Uh, henceforth, all authority assumed granted and uh, otherwise associated with peg legs and hook hands uh, shall hitherto be nullified, voided, and uh, prohibited. The prolonged inability for any ships to pass through the world's most important shipping lane is threatening to turn what started as a hilarious Austin Powers <laughs> meme. A large object stuck in a small space. <laughs> That's hilarious. Into a global supply chain <laughs> crisis. Still funny, but starting to get concerning. A crisis made all the more calamitous by the already strained global supply chain resulting from our current global pandemic. Shit, that's not funny. I mean, it's still a little funny with the tiny bulldozer and the enormous ship involved, right? For barely audible whisper, I'm maritime correspondent Arlen Armstrong asking, how bad does a supply chain crisis have to get before a comically large object trapped in a comparatively hilariously small space stops being funny? Breaking news. That's actually old news by the time you're listening to this. In between the writing of and airing of this sketch, the evergreen was freed from the canal. Thank God, this story was dangerously close to not being funny anymore. <laughs> a large thing stuck inside of a smaller thing. 
funny. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, starring writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin, co-host and author of the Mike Pence live-in closet joke, Molly Baldwin, writer and actor Daniel Carter Brown, actors Emily Sams Brown, Ali Glonick, Tommy Strack, Joshi Newkirk, and Michael Morgan. Please check out BarelyAudibleWhisper.com where you can subscribe to us or you can subscribe to us wherever else you subscribe to your podcasts. We appreciate your support. Schnitzel out. Schnitzel says shot it. Stop it. I could have kept going and going and going like she interchised a pony. In loving memory of Corey Burns. Hubris.